Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fan's Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan the Fan bats around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the Bat Around. Stan, take it away. And a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you in our uh, listening and viewing audience on this Saturday, the 25th of May, our last program of May 2019. I'm staying the fan. Kyle Ottenheimer is in the house. Yes, and, sir. And a young trainee, Griffin Bass, is here as well. Indeed. Um, uh, full house in, uh, in a different way. Well. No Craig Heist. At least, uh, least uh, right. it's a little quieter, right? Yeah. Little less grumpy. Would I would you say? imagine that's a yeah. good way to describe yeah. it. Yeah, less grumpy, more more baseball talk, less grumpiness. Yes, uh, we will be here for two hours on Saturday. We call this show the Bat Around, and we will bat around all manner of baseball topics. Our guest list today includes Todd Karpovich, who covers the Orioles for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Craig Heist, who was at the Nats game last night, will join us at around ten forty. Todd, by the way, 10.20, 10.40, and then at 11 o'clock, an old friend of mine, he's actually an old professor of mine from my days at UMBC back in the early 70s, and that is Lee Lowenfish. Lee is a lifelong, despite the fact he's from New York, All right. he's a lifelong Baltimore Orioles fan. Well, I hear back in the day there were uh, a lot of reasons to root for the Orioles. There were a yeah. lot of reasons, very counter to uh, yeah. today's uh, <laughs> Orioles, but we root for them nonetheless. That we do. Uh, Lee has gone on uh, from his days as a professor of American studies at UMBC to teach uh, up in New York as well, but he, he's mostly known as a baseball author. He's written several books, probably eight or nine books, the most famous of which were the first book on the baseball labor uh, sure. wars called The Imperfect Diamond. And that was uh, the original labor wars back in the 70s, correct? Yeah, exactly. Actually, that started in the 60s. Yeah, with McNally. With the, and... with the formation of the Players Association okay. in the early 60s, yeah. maybe late 50s, that led to McNally, mm-hmm. Messersmith yeah. decisions, and Kurt Flood decision, yep. and all that stuff that shaped uh, what we know of the modern baseball uh, labor free agency and all yeah, that. Yeah, free agency and the labor, the strength of the labor union. A lot of uh, labor stoppages. Uh, anyway, he wrote that book. He then co- collaborated uh, with Tom Seaver, and Tom Seaver has been in the news over the last four or five months, where he is suffering from dementia and is uh, moving away. Uh, the family's moving him away from public appearances. Uh, Tom Seaver, one of the greatest pitchers I ever saw, right up there with the very best in the game. I mean, when you talk about the top, back in my day, Kyle, you know, when I was a kid, it was Koufax, Bob Gibson, Marischal, and then Palmer and Gibson were very, uh, Palmer and uh, Seaver were in that top five. Of course, since then, we've had pitchers like J.R. Richard and Roger Clemens, 
Pedro Martinez, who are uh, Randy Johnson, who are in that caliber. Verlander. Uh, Verlander has certainly Where do you think, moved Do you think he's there. better? Where do you think he'll fall? When his career is all said and done, do you think he'll be better than Pedro? That's, a, that's interesting because his durability is proving right now to be pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. But it's very interesting. At that moment in time that he was traded by the Tigers to the Astros. I thought he was on the decline. I, I'm not even 100% sure he was a Hall of Famer at that point. He had done a lot to he that point. He had done a lot, sure. but, but it was under he was around like he was a two thousand He was a 2,000 strikeout guy, but he right. was a fringe. He was like he would have been on the cusp. He would have been right. in the conversation, but so maybe me, not. To me, he is now certainly become a Hall of Famer, a certain Hall of Famer. Um, how many career wins does... Like 201-ish, like 202, okay. which so in today's day and age today is... he'll, f- he'll f- finish this season at like 210 to 215. Probably. Uh, next Maybe year he'll win 15, 18. He's, I think he signed a two-year extension. He's in the, two four, he's in the 250, 240, He'll have well range. over 3,000 strikeouts. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he's tremendous. His career is probably, in some ways, more remarkable than all the names that we mention because of the second act. Well, that's the Astros. I think have some credit to be given. There was an article I no read that when he came it. over, it wasn't so much that they were. He was never willing to, to find information. It was just that the, they ne- the extent, never been presented it. The extent of the information available to him was so like so much tenfold than what he experienced before that he poured into it. Well, it's it's very interesting that you have two teams, the Tigers and the Orioles, yep. who are both kind of bottom feeders now in the win loss record. And Verlander went over to Houston, and we remember all too well last year when Kevin Gosman went to Atlanta. And Zach Britton went to the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Both of them talked about how yep. those organizations had presented them with so much useful information. But I think even more so, it's not even like the Orioles were lagging as far behind as any franchise in baseball. It's no secret. I think the Tigers were probably it would probably middle of the pack. I would think you don't. It's hard to imagine being able to find such good pitchers and develop them like they yeah. did with the Porcello, Verlander, Scherzer rotation. Well, they uh, didn't develop Scherzer. Scherzer was a trade. Well, that was a good they, trade on yeah, their part. It was a fantastic um, trade. They traded Edwin Jackson to the Arizona Diamondbacks for Max. The Scherzer. list of people that have been traded for Edwin Jackson is probably long. Yeah. Um, but that being said, like those guys had success in Detroit. I don't think they were way, way back where the Orioles were necessarily in that regard. It's just that the difference between one and even two and three, which the Astros are have been one, the Rays are up there, but the Astros are just head and shoulders they above in that no department. No question about it. So no now hopefully the Orioles will be able to uh, well, catch up because you know, of the people, the, the minds that have shared those two organizations. It's now. very interesting, though, that they, they haven't been able to – now, maybe John Means is an example of someone who's already absorbed a lot of analytical information, and that's why he's pitched so well. Maybe – I choose to think with Cashner it's not analytical. It's that he's on the same page with a pitching coach that he has a very uh, very good relationship with. I think a and lot it's of interesting. Would... Did you uh, it broke late last night that Kashner yeah. has basically come out and said that if he's traded by I don't buy this, but he's basically said if he gets traded this time, he'll quit baseball. It's very bizarre. Uh, rather than leave the Baltimore Orioles. It is very bizarre. We talked about it a bit yesterday on Glenn Clark Radio. Oh, it came out that early. Yeah. I didn't read it till like uh, one o'clock last yeah, night. Yeah, no, it was um it Hard to figure out. Yeah. Um, look, glad he likes Baltimore. Flattered. 
Uh, I too liked Baltimore quite a bit. Right. Um, but I don't suppo- know where he is in this part of his supposedly career. Supposedly, like, when he got traded from one of the other teams, like to Miami from San Diego, he threatened to retire at that time too. He maybe is just hesitant for change, right? Yeah. Like he's a guy that likes routine and likes being right. used to something. But then when you get told that, hey, you have the chance to go pitch in a in a race right now, yeah. like you interested? I yeah. think that maybe. Now, in, in Baltimore, there's also Boo Pals. Now, maybe Andrew Kashner has become very fond could of be. Boog's uh, pit beef sandwiches. That could be also yeah. the case. He looks like he's been in pretty good shape. And with Kashner, I feel like the the topic more so, and this could be a credit to the to the guys that are now running the Orioles, is that he appears, look, I think he's always had stuff. When he was a young guy, he was throwing 96, 97, like yep. a sinker with some two-seamer, right? Like it was a heavy fastball. Um but his, I think his delivery, the repeatable delivery, right? He's clearly in a good place with his mechanics and his, 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 his like all of it. And it's, it's as well as I've seen him repeatedly, the stuff look with him as in an Orioles uniform, the, for sure. The only frustrating part for him is given the bullpen woes, you really love him to get that Deeper, one yeah. extra inning. Yeah. You know, he's basically a six-inning guy, and you, you have the sense if he could get through the seventh – his opportunity, his chances of winning ball games would uh, increase exponentially in Baltimore. In, in Baltimore, Baltimore, right? In Baltimore. And so that's not yeah. as much of a concern, hopefully, yeah. for other teams when I mean, they're looking at him. If he's New York Yankees and they got out of Vino, yeah. you know, right. uh, Dellen Batances, if he ever gets back, Britain or you got Chapman, he can go five there. A National League team would probably be licking their chops thinking about getting yeah. this this version of Cashner. In their well, rotation. Anyway, he's going to clearly, after last night's debacle uh, out in Colorado, he is going to uh, clearly be the club's best chance to win a game. Tonight he faces Kyle Freeland at 910 uh, because Sunday afternoon the Orioles have arguably their worst starter, but Dan Straley is the one that has now been relegated to the bullpen without an explanation as to who will be the fifth starter for the Orioles now. But David Hess will pitch against German Marquez, uh, the best starter that the Rockies can bring at you on Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock. Um, last night's game, Kyle, Orioles have the 5-1 to lead at one point in time. John Means gives up a couple, I think, in the fifth, um, and then comes back and gets out of the sixth. I mean, there was a six to three lead. And six three, so it's five three. Then Nunez hits a home run in the top of the eighth, I think it was. Okay, makes it six to three. And we are dealing with some technical difficulties, so if okay. you listen to this later, you won't know. But okay. we'll be back on air shortly. Okay, Brandon Klein uh, came in and struck out the side in the seventh, and it's very interesting. It seems no matter whether um, manager Brandon Hyde listens to Stan the Fan or not, <laughs> uh, but he brought in... Which, of course, we believe he does, he, considering who. He, if you don't, then like, what do you know baseball? He came back and brought Klein in in the seventh with a, um, a two-run lead this time. He struck out the side. He then brought in Sean Armstrong, who has pitched very well for the Orioles, given up one run in eight and a third innings, and he brings him in. And he gives up back-to-back home runs. The first and back-to-back two runs, yeah, yeah. Two, two run homer. I they show so many replays. I thought I was for a split <laughs> second. I thought I was watching Trevor Story's home run. Yeah, uh, nope. but but not, not uh, it was not the case. And suddenly it went from a six-three lead to a six-to-six ball game. Well, it's weird. You know, I was really comfortable with the proposition of this Orioles pitching staff in high altitude before yeah. entering this series. Uh, why, it turned out different that? than why I expected. I just thought they would have really excelled 
in now that they altitude. were in a pitcher's atmosphere, <laughs> you know? <laughs> okay, I got you. Touche. You got me there for a minute. Uh, anyway, and then for the third consecutive uh, timeout, Michael Givens uh, really, really looked was, like crap. Looked like he yeah. looked pretty horrible last night. It was very, it's too bad. Very His bad. numbers had come down to the point where you were like, this is about where we probably expect him to be. We want him to be uh, in that two range. You know, you know, for a team, seriously, that was banking on uh, several things this this baseball season, n- not the least of which was how many games they were going to win, they were banking on having the number one pick in the draft. They were banking on making a mark in the international market in July. And I think a lot of us felt that probably the leading candidate for, for a, a, a midseason deal that could bring the Orioles a significant return, yep. meaning one really top-notch prospect, sure, like was Michael Givens. A very, like, look, the Mancini thing, we didn't expect him to play this well at the start of the year, so yeah. that sort of shifted expectations and hopes at that point. But entering the season, there was one piece on the roster that you thought should be a valuable asset, should be a desirable piece, right. a real desirable piece for teams based on what he's capable of, of pitching like. And now it's back to square one. It really is. He 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 didn't start off great. He didn't have a great spring down in uh, Sarasota. He started off a little slowly, but he had put together, what, about six or seven really strong performances, yeah. uh, got four saves, looked to be the guy that was really going to bring us a nice return. Unfortunately, and now, it's still it's still mid to late May, right? Like we're not in if this were right before the deadline, you would really kind of be like, "Wow, I can't believe this is happening." There's still but, time but, for him to But given right the ship. But given the Alex Cobb situation, how that was a guy we True. thought going into the season might really be an attractive trade chip, I think going back to March we figured once Trumbo gets in here, he might be a piece with, with at, at mid July with only four and a half, five million dollars left or seven million on his contract. Maybe the Orioles eat two million of it and deal him. He's he's worthless in a trade. Absolutely, now. yeah. Uh, they're not getting anything. Nothing for but him. a bad taste in my mouth with Mark Trumbo as far as uh, it was a terrible contract. Well, yes, but also the contract. pie thing, right, with Jones and yeah. the fact that he's the, the club's reason it record stopped. since the pie thing yeah. is. <laughs> It's uh, quite remarkable. So I see them having fun over there in Arizona, and I can't help but, in my mind, somehow blame Mark Trumbo. Yeah, but you know, like it was a it yeah, was a makeup a, deal for not, not re-signing guy. Nelson Cruz is what yeah, it was exactly. Um, exactly. And you rather have I Nelson mean, in Cruz. fairness, they acquired him for nothing because the Mariners were Clevenger, in a, right? Yeah, got him for Clevenger, Steve Clevenger. Um, he hits forty nine home runs. Forty was it forty nine? Uh, was it forty seven? 49 sounds like more than I remember yeah, it being. I thought it was 49. Might have been 45 or 43. Okay. 43 maybe. Okay. Let's find but, out. I'll but look. anyway. Griffin, get on it. But anyway, they um, they uh, they they ended up, uh, you know, they, they, you're absolutely right. They responded to having lost Cruz the year before, and they give him a three-year contract, which based on his numbers when he put up that big season for the Orioles, seemed very reasonable. It was a three-year for – 39. Yeah. 39.5 um, for three but years. But that being said, that player doesn't get paid in today's baseball landscape. Uh, you no. can find a no, it was first. one of the last horrible arms. 47. 47. All right. Yeah. Um, that, you can find that type of bat in a lot of places, the all or nothing power bat. And you his find defensive. It like Luke Voigt. Yeah. The yeah. Orioles have a lot of them. The defensive position is it's the stretch to say he's an outfielder. Right. 
So anyway, uh, the Orioles made that mistake. So, But the bottom line is when you started checking off people that could have bought, bought something back in return, yeah, absolutely. two of the highest guys you thought of were Cobb and him, uh, Trumbo, and we'll get nothing for either one of them. And I first had, of all, I've got, I was corrected by someone a week ago that Cobb's contract has two more years does, to go after this which year. Which lends you a, a touch of hope that, look, it's not a likely scenario that he regains his previous form randomly and suddenly <laughs> discovers the cutter and all the splitter, or, you know, whatever. But they have some time where if he were to be pitching well in the first half of next year, right. it would, and even the year after, right? Pitchers starting pitching. If you're pitching well, you'll be valued. Um, I still had those two players, Trumbo and Cobb, w- below Mancini and VR and Villar as guys right. who I had hope for for being valuable. And those guys well, have still I, held I, up their end of the bargain. Anyway, the point, the point being, though, that Michael Givens, in my opinion, had the most yep. tradable uh, commodity. He was the most tradable commodity on the roster. You could argue if Bundy had done – and he's been pitching. For what it's worth, yeah. it's under the radar, but Dylan Bundy in his last five starts has pitched well. No so, question about it, and I think they will move him in a, in a heartbeat if somebody – I think he needs to string together six more – consistently decent outings, and I think somebody would give you a decent prospect for him. You think they should bite it the first chance they get? Uh, it depends who the offer is. You know, But like, let's say somebody right now is willing to give you... I don't think somebody's willing... No, I, to answer your question, I would rather he find more value. You would rather him. You would rather uh, bet on him kind of putting together, stringing together a few more good starts. I like what I've seen right now. Again... Unfortunately, like Kashner, his pitch count gets so high that he's much more likely to pitch five to five and two-thirds innings than six and two-thirds innings. So there is that, but let's face it, the teams that are good teams that are World Series contenders, if they need a starter, more than likely they're not as worried about who's going to close out the last two and two-thirds innings than the Orioles are. No doubt. Uh, last night again, very frustrating. The Orioles lose it in the bottom of the ninth inning, eight to six was the final score. The second home run by Trevor Story, and the home run hits just keep on coming. They keep on coming. Well, it's nice to see Keon Broxton start off strong with the Orioles, though. Yeah, he uh, what first pitch he like met, four hundred and seventy feet or really something, hit that bomb. Yeah, that's unbelievable. So, granted, it was a nice yeah, fat pitch for him to hit. Uh, he didn't get many more of them last night, yeah. but let's hope it's a sign of things to come. I don't know if you and Glenn touched on it. Uh, Jeff Huffman, uh, do you know what his special connection to Baltimore no. is? Can't remember. 2015 off season. 2015 off season. Mm-hmm. 14 and 15. Well, that, that was the was year, that the year Dan, after they signed Duvaldo. That, that was the year that Dan Duquette was being Travis wooed Snyder by, was being wooed by the Toronto yeah, Blue okay. Jays. That is the number one pick of the Toronto Blue Jays in 2014, yeah. and that was the player that Peter Angelos was asking for their number one and number two picks, which were Ford Jeff Huffman and Max Pentecost, a catcher who I've never heard of before but i was reading up on it and huffman is not a, an attractive looking pitcher i mean the thought of even getting anything back in return for dan duquette right now seems like you should have pulled the trigger immediately of course the hindsight being 2020 yep. but um wild times those were yep yep <laughs> yep 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 no question about it well listen uh, peter had some uh, issues with contending and uh putting a uh 
a credible product on the field for 14 years. Dan Duquette came in. No doubt. The team won uh, for a couple of years, and he wasn't anxious he to did, let him walk He for did nothing. very well within the constraints that existed. Uh, he did as well as you could have hoped for. Yep. Uh, and that being said, also happy belated birthday to Buck Showalter, a man who I will forever hold in high regard as an Orioles fan. All right. It was yesterday, I believe, it was his birthday. Yes, correct, correct. He was 63 years of age. Uh, again, the Orioles will play tonight at 9-10. It'll be Andrew Kashner against Kyle Freeland. Tomorrow, getaway day on this brief three-game trip to Colorado. David Hess against Jermon Marquez. That game will take place at 3 o'clock on Monday. Uh, Daniel Norris will pitch against an as-yet-undetermined Baltimore Orioles starter at 105 Tuesday night. Neither ESPN nor MLB somehow has the Orioles playing Tuesday night. They don't have the probable pitchers up. Um, but there will be a game 705. Anybody's guess who's pitching that game. Weather pending. That is, uh, well, Monday and Tuesday are the days in question. Uh, I would guess now it probably wouldn't be means. Uh, would probably be well. Bundy is listed as Wednesday starter. Anyway, joining us right now uh, on the bat around is our uh, baseball writer who covers the Orioles for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com, and that is one Todd Karpovich. Todd, how are you this week? Hey, Stan, doing well. Doing well. I was over at the women's final four last night. Woo. Yeah, <laughs> where was that? Open games. Where was that played at Towson? At Hopkins. At Hopkins, and who yeah. uh, who's uh, who won the semifinals? Uh, Boston College. Well, I was there for the Boston Globe, and Boston College beat um, North Carolina in double overtime, fifteen to fourteen. Wow! And Maryland dismantled Northwestern. I think it was twenty-five thirteen. Wow! So it's Boston College and Maryland for the national title tomorrow at noon. And you would think that Maryland would be a prohibitive favorite in that game. Well, they're the top seed, but we'll yeah. see. Boston College team is really, really good. All so right. We'll that see. sounds exciting. Now, while we have you on to talk baseball, I do have to ask you, it is semifinal day in the NCAA Division One men's lacrosse, and we have Duke playing UVA in Philadelphia at 12 o'clock. And then at 2.30, uh, pending the uh, finish of that first game, Penn State will play last year's champion, uh, Yale. Who do you like in those two games? I like Penn State, and I like Duke in you know, these two games. And I think Penn State wins it all. Their attack is just – if you get behind on Penn State, it's just tough to come back on them. And like we all found out right. on, um, on in, the, in the quarterfinals. But just their, their attack is just so strong. And they are, I think they're averaging 19 goals a game. Wow. It's just crazy. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. What about John Donowski's team? I mean, you're picking them over UVA. Do they stand a puncher's chance against Penn State if that's the final? Um, I think they'll hang with them for a while, but I think Penn State runs away with it. I like Duke because they have so much experience in the tournament. Yeah. And they know how to play this time of year. So that, that could factor in against Penn State. But again, I think Penn State, the way, the, way they, the way they have a second midfield and the way they attack, they just wear teams down. You just can't keep up with them. Yeah, the the only way I see Duke being able to win that game would be like how Hopkins was ahead of them, 11-8. They fall behind early, Penn State, and because of Duke's experience and their lack of experience in the big pressure moments, perhaps 
Duke is able to uh, get them a little jittery. But I agree with you right now. Penn State looks much the best right now. Yeah, and, you know, you got the shot clock, so you can't just hold the ball against them. You know what I mean? Yeah. The ball turns over, and when Penn State gets the ball, they're going to come at you. Hey, I know you were covering that women's uh, NCAA uh, semifinals last night at Hopkins, so I won't ask you too much about last night's game. But I will ask you, uh, the club announced uh, last night, I saw it, um, you know, 10 o'clock, 10.30, that Dan Straley is being moved to the bullpen. Do you have any conjecture what that means for the starting rotation? No, I mean, what are they going to do? They're going to try I mean, Straley had to go to the bullpen. He was just not an effective starter. Right. You know, they gave him every opportunity. And, um, you know, he's only going three or four innings. But let me ask you a question, all kidding aside. What did they just do, eeny, meeny, miny, moe on, on Hess and Straley? What makes him less less respectable as a starter than than David Hess? I guess because Hess is younger and they think he can develop. And, yeah. um, you know, they're going to give him more opportunities. I mean, Straley's not going to be part of this team next year. Right. Um, so, right. Um, you know, there's, there's this uh, – you know, I don't know who they're going to. I guess maybe so, he's one of the long guys in the bullpen to give it a shot. So let me ask you a question. Suppose it was uh, it's it's Monday night. They have listed now an undecided starter. Is it possible they do either Enoa or Castro as the starter? And really, what they're doing is disguising Dan Straley being like the guy after two innings to come in and you hope to get three decent innings out of them. Maybe by yeah, changing I, maybe by changing the scenery, uh, it changes his mojo a little bit. Yeah, I mean I, I said the star's already on the team, so you're right. It's gonna be it's gonna be somebody out of the bullpen. I think um Noah will probably the best shot, but he's sort yeah. of stretched out. Another guy to watch is Josh Lucas. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, not ter- um, not terribly exciting, but neither is watching Dan Straley start another. Yeah, I mean they're sort of grasping at straws now, and then yeah. you know, and Mike Elias had said last week that they don't have much of a choice but to try to go out and find some pitching help because yeah. it's you know, I mean it's there's one thing to rebuild and there's one thing just to get clobbered every night. You know, right. it's a it's sort of a difference. Yeah, well, you know? I, I think they made a, a pretty poor. And listen, I th- I think a lot of these guys, I think they really know what they're doing. But and, and I know that they didn't have the budget to go out and get a top-tier start, free agent starter. But I thought the whole concept behind Nate Carnes, a guy who didn't pitch any innings in the major leagues last year due to injury, to, to sign him and say, we think he's, you know, he's an innings eater. To me, Carnes, if he, if he were healthy – could have been that bridge guy in the seventh and eighth innings in the bullpen, but never as a guy that was going to give you, you know, beyond beyond ninety to hundred innings if if he were really healthy. Well, looking out that right in retrospect, that was really not a good signing. I mean, it was a terrible signing. Two weeks of the season, he, yeah. and now he's on sixty day DL. I mean, right. he's not going. He's really not going to be able to give them much of anything this season. No, you know, and I know, and you know what. Carnes is a good guy, and you know, and I think he's not like he's not working hard. No, nobody's he's breaking down. Yeah, he's you know? breaking down. Uh, but yeah. but my point was, if you look at the body of work he has, his sh- short inning stints were the were the the best they could have hoped for from him were high strikeouts and two inning stints. You know, oh, I agree. With you, 100%. So yeah. I didn't understand that. And look. The, the Orioles aren't the only club that missed out on, say, a Gio Gonzalez. But, again, 
uh, as the Orioles did under Dan Duquette a little bit too, sometimes I I go back to the Andrew Miller signing, even if you didn't want to have Andrew Miller here for four years at nine million a year, at least they could have done what the Yankees did with him was sign him and traded him. Uh, You know, when you have a commodity that's that valuable in your hands and you didn't even get a draft pick for that deal because he was being traded in the middle of, uh, you know, a contract. Um, so we didn't even get a draft pick for him, and we gave up a pretty decent pitching prospect in Eduardo Rodriguez. I just think yeah. it made no and sense look, at all. Look what Cash has done with the Yankees, too. He, I tell you what, he has done an amazing job as far as what, what, what he's been able to do as far as what he did with trades and putting pieces in place. And re, I mean, reloaded. I think they had 13 guys on the I.L., and they were still clobbering people. I mean, it's... It, it, it sort of, you know, the Yankees have deep pockets and, and uh, you know, more resources probably than most major league clubs. But, you know, you got to give Cash some credit for some of the moves he made to put them in the position they are in now. They're going to be tough to beat for many years to come here. Um, we are only about a week and maybe a week and a couple days away from the first overall pick being, well, uh, official. It seems like conventional wisdom suggests it's going to be Adley Rutschman, though there are still some questions about whether or not the organization attempts to go the underslot route. Um, what's your gut on the whole thing? My gut is he's a. I think you know it's been tossed around that they trade out that one to get to get some more picks, but he's just a generational type of player. I mean, by all accounts, it's almost a consensus on him how good he is, and he really could be a cornerstone. You know, player for the franchise for years to come, face of the franchise. I really just don't see how they can pass it up. What do you think, Stan? Well, wait a minute. You're saying Rutschman? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I again, I'm not a hundred percent sure, and I don't think they are either. I think there's, uh, you know, I think those top three players are for for a variety of reasons. I think the top three players are all in play right now. I know they are still scouting them actively at this point in time, and that you know that can be to to blow smoke of uh, you know in, in everybody else's face. But what's the point if you you've got to take the pick? Uh, they could have announced uh, two weeks ago uh, we've decided it's going to be Adlai Rutschman and we're working on a a contract with them yeah. and all that. But uh, I, I think there's different scenarios. I think the biggest upside is probably the shortstop, uh, but that's also not feeding um, your audience red meat of somebody that's close to being major league ready. That's a guy who still could be three years away from being ready. Oh, in the best case, well, the Orioles, Orioles are going to be three, oh, yeah, they're probably at least four years away from competing, you know, so that might be, you know, right. the most practical pick. I mean, so um, some people would say, yeah, why pick a guy that's going to be ready in a year and a half when you're not going to be ready and you use up two two years of his service time, uh, you know when he's uh, you know he's he's not going to be playing with a a team that has much chance to win. I guess my gut tells me it's going to be Rutschman, but I also think there's a scenario where the money is important and and um, Vaughn could be the play at one For what it's with worth, the Glenn, idea to come back in and get an overslot guy. Glenn talked to somebody yeah. who was involved with the Pac-10 or Pac-12, and they right. said that. 
if you think you're going to get Vaughn at one for under slot, you're, you're wrong. He's not signing under slot anywhere. Like, he's he would think of himself as being worthy right. of the number one pick. Well, so see, I don't right, know that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, who knows? Yeah, I mean, he is a senior, though, right? I thought he was a junior. If he, okay. if he's, so he, could come, he could argue that he's going to come back. It's pretty hard to turn down number one money. Uh, but if, if that's correct and they've done their homework – then, then Rutschman and Witt are the, the clearly the top two yeah. guys for them. And remember, Rutschman is not, is not a Boris guy, so it's not going to be as maybe not as horrible as you know if, if he was representing him. You know, Boris would love to get a hold of him. Oh, what what he would be able to negotiate? But yeah, um, I just think it's, I just think this this kid is. Uh, I think he's too hard to pass up, but we'll see. He sounds like an awfully special kid, uh, Rutschman. There's no question about it. I I love the family background. I love uh, in Dan Connolly's piece. Vaughn is a junior. He's a junior. In in Dan Connolly's lengthy um, piece, which was 39 pages, printed pages, uh, his piece in The Athletic uh, about Adlai Rutschman, the point in the story where he, after his freshman year and then playing in the Cape Cod League and really being a below-average offensive player, way below average, uh, it sounded – now, I, you know, I did not read the whole 39-page piece, but I read that, that portion of it carefully. It sounded almost like he self-diagnosed what he had to do and went to work on that. Now, I don't know what, what coaches were helping him. Uh, his dad is a coach, and his grandfather is a coach, uh, and both in baseball. Um, but it's interesting that he really has become quite a, um, a formidable offensive piece, no question about it. Yeah. We're talking with Todd Karpovich, who covers the Orioles for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Todd, I'm not uh, sure uh, – I didn't read this until late last night, but Kyle and Glenn talked about it on the Glenn Clark radio show yesterday. This uh, story that came out about Andrew Kashner uh, telling Dan Connolly, ironically, of The Athletic, that if the Orioles trade him, he may just quit. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, I saw that. Well, well, I mean, I think, you know, what's that? I think Kashner you know, would want to play, have a shot at the World Series. And I think there's some talk about his value really might could be in the bullpen right. for a contender. I'm, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure he wants to do that. So maybe that sort of plays into it. Um, but I think, you know, I don't think he just wants to get pushed away somewhere where he's sort of a forgotten man somewhere. But I think an opportunity to play for a World Series would be, would be pretty appealing to a guy, you know, a veteran like him. So I guess we'll see how that plays out. But the, the, he's only he's a final year of his deal. They have they have to trade him or extend him. You know, I mean, uh, I think what he's else got. Do? I actually think I read that the, his deal includes a ten million dollar option. I did not know that until I read the piece last night that there's an option for a third year. Team option, right? Team option, yeah. yeah. That's a lot so, of money for Andrew Kashner. Yeah. Anyway, we're talking with uh, Todd Karpovich of PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Todd, now, speaking of value, how much has this week hurt the trade value of one Michael Givens? Yeah, had... I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about it. He really had a rough week. I mean, I don't know um, what's going on. Is outside sessions haven't gone well. But, I mean, the, the Thursday loss was very disheartening. He did get squeezed. By an umpire, in, in that ninth inning, that where uh, the guy came back and walked, but then he walked in the winning run. And last night again, he hangs the ball over the plate. Um, 
Yeah, his 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 value is diminishing with his recent performance. But again, it's it's you know we're in the last week of May. Maybe he picks it up in June. I still think he has a huge upside where he'd be appealing to teams. But now it's a it's a matter of what you're going to get back. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, and I, the whole I, bullpen is just really yeah, really he, struggled. He, he did not have a good spring training. He started the season less than stellar, but he had put together a string of seven to nine really good outings in a row, and now all of a sudden. Um, the, the, these last three outings have, uh, you know, put put a question mark above his name a little bit. Yeah, because now now if you're if you're Brandon High, can you trust him? You know, no, I'm talking about I'm talking more more so his trade value. Yeah, than trade value, but if he doesn't pitch, you know, his value goes even you know, yeah. down even further. Yeah. You know, so he's got to get out there and throw. It's amazing but, you know, though when teams go bad. I mean, look at Sean Armstrong. He hasn't had one bad outing, and he comes into that game last night. And all he had to do was be himself for an inning and a third, and the Orioles stand a fairly decent chance of winning that ball game. Yeah, you know, yeah, it was just what. Too disheartening. Probably two of the worst losses of the season happened this week. Yeah. Thursday and last night. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Monday's wasn't Monday's wasn't real pleasant either when you had no, a seven to three really, lead yeah. in that ball game against you come New back York and have Yankees. a chance. You had a three run homer to tie the yeah. game against the Yankees. Yep. They had... walk in the winning run. I mean, yeah. that's tough. All right, Todd. We're going to let you go. Get get yourself ready in front of you in front of the TV for the lacrosse doubleheader today. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Yeah. All right. Down to Hopkins tomorrow. All right. Well, listen, enjoy. What time is the uh, women's final tomorrow at Hopkins? It's at noon. Okay. And it's University of Maryland. People, they sold out last night. Really? Yeah. Yeah. All right. And it's it's uh, Boston College against uh, University of Maryland. Maryland. All right. All right. My money's on Maryland tomorrow night. My money's on Maryland, too. They scored 25 goals last night. Any any rumors on the Navy coaching job? No, I guess they're going to... they're going to wait till this tournament plays out and okay. see who's available. Like, I'm guessing they'll go with it. You know, it, it's, it's a unique position. Yeah. And they're going to have to find the right guy. Um, and yeah. They'll get, a top, they'll get a top assistant. Position. They'll get a top assistant from somebody. That's why I'm thinking they're going to throw a younger guy, top assistant, to kind of put some energy back into the program. All right. Hey, Todd, thanks. We'll talk to you again next week probably. Thank All you. Right. Have a good weekend. All right. Have a great holiday. All right. Uh, when we get back, we will uh, make our connections with uh, one uh, Craig Heist. Live Casino Hotel has another great concert on the schedule. That's right. Get tickets now to see Boz Skaggs out of the Blue Tour on Friday, June the 28th. Tickets start at $45, include $10 in free slots play. Go to Live Casino Hotel now to get your tickets. Around here, there are two kinds of chicken. Royal Farms' world-famous chicken and everything else. What's the difference? Royal Farms' chicken is always fresh, never frozen. It's hand-dipped in a secret recipe of herbs and spices and cooked on the spot right in the store. Chicken from anywhere else? Who knows? Hungry for some hot and delicious chicken? Get some Royal Farms' world-famous chicken. It's one of a kind. And don't forget the Western fries. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Spend this Memorial Day at Oriole Park and watch the O's take on the Tigers. Be one of the first 20,000 fans ages 21 and over to get a pair of Orioles outdoor pint glasses. Presented by Sam Adams. There's no better place to kick off the summer than the ballpark. Check out the Orioles rooftop bar, where the local brews are flowing all summer long. And for food, Boog's Barbecue has you covered with a brand new look and the same great taste. Let us take care of the grilling while you kick back and enjoy the holiday. Summer starts here, so be part of it all. Visit Orioles.com for tickets. 
Baltimore's favorite bar is just 771 feet from home plate at Camden Yards. Slider's Bar and Grill at 504 Washington Boulevard, just steps from Camden Yards, is the perfect sports bar for every season. This is the perfect time to book your private party or take the office to lunch. Feeding clients? Take them to Baltimore's neighborhood sports bar, Slider's, for great food and drinks with some local atmosphere. You can book your private event on the second floor or on the outside patio, both overlooking the best stadium in baseball. See all of Slider's daily specials or book your party at slidersbaltimore.com. Sliders, Baltimore's neighborhood sports bar. Visit them today. One third of crash fatalities in Maryland are due to impaired driving. Don't be a statistic. Be legendary. What does it mean to be legendary? It means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one. Never drinking, then getting behind the wheel. Making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed. Always speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver. Remember, sober drivers save lives. This safety message is brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation. Visit BeLegendaryMD.com. As the weather heats up, the menu at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square cools down, introducing the all-new Frosted Key Lime, a fun twist on one of America's favorite pies. The new treat is a hand-spun combination of Chick-fil-A's signature ice cream, Chick-fil-A lemonade, and natural sugar-free lime flavoring made from a blend of key limes, coffer limes, and Persian limes. Frosted Key Lime gets its green color from a mix of nutrient-rich ingredients. Download the Chick-fil-A app today, place your order, and get points towards free stuff at our Chick-fil-A. Nottingham Square. Plus, if you order using your app, your food will be ready when you get there. Stop by Chick-fil-A in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center at 5198 Campbell Boulevard and tell Steve we sent you. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. This is former Terp AJ Francis just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruin the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor. Never wrestled for PWG. Never wrestled Uh, in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet me, bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you on my list. This is your boy Y2AJ here to save you. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com on SoundCloud or iTunes. The new PressBox print edition is out. Luke Jackson looks into the high stakes of number one. For just the second time in franchise history, the Orioles have the number one pick. Who will they pick? Luke Jackson looks at the process. Also, Bill Ordeen takes a deep dive in what the Preakness would look like at Laurel Park. It's all part of the Pressbox Print Edition number 254, available at over 500 locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. We are broadcasting from the Live Casino Hotel Studios. And joining us right now, live, another late night at the ballpark in Washington, is Craig Heiss. Craig, that was a pretty magical win by the Nats. Yeah, magical but long. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, they they don't care that you're not being paid by the minute. Yeah, exactly. Tell us a little bit about uh, how, tell this. Tell us a little bit about how that occurred. Uh, wasn't the ideal starting pitcher on the mound for a must win 
by the Nationals, but somehow the team got it done. Well, they got it done, but still the bullpen was an issue last night, and Kyle McGowan battled his way through four innings, and uh, you know they 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 the offense at least came to life, so that was good. They hit uh, you know back to back home runs, Juan Soto a three run shot in the eighth inning, and then uh, right behind him Matt Adams, and then. Uh, you know, so from that standpoint, it was good. Anthony Rendon continues to 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 do well, and he had a he had a big home run last night. But Juan Soto's just on fire. He's hitting five hundred fifteen for thirty uh, over his seven game win, uh, hitting streak. So uh, he's he's just he's just playing lights out right now, and they got to find a way to get another one today at four o'clock. And uh, one player that has done very little this season due to injury, but I noticed he got a couple hits at the top of the lineup last night. Is Trey Turner? Could he be ready to heat up? Because I think he well, could he, really he could really be a difference maker on this team. Well, of course he could be a difference maker, and that's what you got to love about him and Adam Eaton at the top of that lineup. It sets the stage for it sets the stage for Rendon and Soto and whether it's Zimmerman or Matt Adams or Howie Kendrick, uh, this offense has the, the potential to be very, very good. But, uh, the other part of that though, too, last night, Trey Turner, they committed four errors on the night and he had two of them in one inning. So, uh, and, and, and that's unusual for him because yeah. he's a very good defensive shortstop. Uh, but, uh, yeah, if he heats up, that could be nothing but good things for this offense. All right, we're talking to Craig Heist. Craig, uh, before the game yesterday, Mike Rizzo uh, met with the media, I believe. He had to sit down with the whole group of you guys. and kind of Yeah, made right, it, out on, right out on the warning track. <laughs> and made it the warning track. And made it pretty clear that in the foreseeable future, you know, and that can, of course, is subject to change, when you get into this murky thing of whether the manager's in danger or not, but that they are planning to stay the course with manager Davey Martinez. Right, and that's kind of what I've been telling everybody for the better part of the year. Uh, I, I just felt like that if they decided to make a change, you know, this thing would have to go really, really south. And I'm not saying it's not there, but, you know, right now they're, 11 under, they're 10 games out, and you're a third of the way through the season. Uh, and if, if that happened, I think management at that point has to admit they screwed up, you know, letting Dusty Baker go, or just, you know, if they let Dusty Baker go, they, they turned around and didn't hire the right guy. Uh, and that's what they'd have to be admitting. And, uh, you know, so from that standpoint, yeah, I think they're going to stay the course and, uh, you know, I mean, you, you can fault Dave Martinez for a lot of things, but you can't fault him for losing three quarters of his infield for a long period of time. Right. You can't you can't fault him for having a bullpen that he's trying to piece together and trying to make the right moves, but a bullpen that's got a collectively a seven ERA. All of those things have to change if this team wants to right the ship. Uh, but but again, you know, the guy that takes the fall for it, Stan, as you well know, is the the, the, manager. the manager a yeah. lot of time, right? Absolutely. So, from that standpoint, I, I just think that uh, they're gonna they're gonna stay the course with Davey, and uh, you know, they the whole mantra here is just play better baseball. If you play better baseball, things can get turned around a little bit. Are are they the most disappointing team in baseball? Are, are they what? The most disappointing team in baseball? 
I'd say they're right up there for sure. Uh, when you stop to even even with the loss of Bryce Harper, and I don't think this has much to do with the loss of Bryce Harper. This just has to do with uh, a lot of different things: injuries being one, underachieving being two, and a bullpen that you got. You know, I asked Mike on when we had our when we had our session yesterday. I said. Uh, you know, I, I understand you've been through injuries and things of that nature, but how do you explain a bullpen with guys that have track records and fairly decent track records having an ERA of seven? And, you, you know, he, he was a little bit at a loss for words, but by the same token, he says it's a matter of these guys who have done it before to continue to, and to, to get it together and do it again. I'm not so sure that's going to happen. We're talking with Craig Heist, who uh, is usually in the seat here uh, as my co-host on Saturdays. But uh, we, with uh, the late nights that he's working, we uh, thought it would be better if he just uh, joined us on the phone uh, for a few minutes. He's got to be out at the ballpark today. What time do you get out there? About 2 o'clock? Uh, no, I'll probably get there about 1 today. Okay. We're talking with Craig. Craig, uh, what's the pitching matchup uh, tonight at uh, Nats Park? Well, I know Patrick Corbin goes for uh, the Nationals, so that's a that's a a good thing because he had a rough one in New York the last time out. Right. Uh, His rough ones have been few and far between, though. Yeah. Yeah, but they've been few and far between, absolutely. So, again, it's – it's it's going to be up to him to to give them a good ball game, and you know the, the one thing about the Marlins, you know, coming in last night, they had they had won six straight, and a, a team that was scoring some runs, and I I think that I saw a pretty good offensive output last night from them. So uh, again, Sean Doolittle in that ninth inning. All of a sudden, he, he he had the he had the hiccup in New York where he gave up the ninth inning and they lost that game. And uh, last night, fortunately, he had a little bit of a lead. He had a, he had a, a three run lead going into that ninth inning because he gave up a home run to lead off the inning, and then they had runners on base with a chance to tie the game. So, uh, from that standpoint, you know, Sean Doolittle is kind of all of a sudden struggling, but I think some of that can be attributed to some overuse, if you will, and uh, I'm, I'm not so much worried about him. But Craig, I'm I'll tell just, you what that that bullpen's just a mess right now. Well, I'm, ju- I'm just curious. The the key guy that they picked up to help the bullpen was Trevor Rosenthal, and uh, doing mass in one night about two weeks ago when they when they announced the firing of Derek Lilliquist which I didn't agree with at all, and, the, and uh, putting in the minor league pitch, roving pitching coach, Paul Menard, uh, to be the pitching coach. But Menard said, I was on my way, to, I was getting ready to get on the plane the next morning, and they called me and told me not to take that plane trip down to work with Trevor Rosenthal. And I said, why not? And they said, because you're coming to the big club uh, Thursday or something like that. Did did anybody pick up that mantle? Is somebody working with Trevor Rosenthal? Well, yeah, he went back down to uh, he went back down to Florida, down to uh, no, that's West where Palm that's Beach. where Paul Menhart was going. He was on his way to Florida that's he, to yeah, work that's with. That's where he was heading, right? Right. right. So, I mean, and, 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 and do do we know who picked up that mantle and how close he is to to getting back? Well, supposedly uh, he's not that far away, but again, he had a setback in terms of 
in, in terms of a bad outing down there. So, um, I believe it was in Harrisburg. So, Boy, uh, again, when we see him, I don't, I'm not so sure. Right. But you know, the one thing that they, the one thing that they thought when they signed him was the fact that you know they knew the velocity was there, so that was telling them that he was really kind of healthy. Right. And it's just not panned out for him. I mean, he couldn't he couldn't find the plate. His control was all over the place, and they had to do something. They sent him out, and they found you know, uh, I, I guess one of those phantom type things, if you will, <laughs> <laughs> where. Yeah, where, I've where, had a few of those in my life. Yeah, I, I've had a few of those in my yeah, life. Yeah. Right, exactly. Hey, Craig, so, go ahead. Go ahead. Let me. I'm in. No, no. Go ahead. What's, what's so, up? so my point is, once we get past the drama of Davy Martinez and, and whether they decide not to end up pulling the plug on him if this thing goes further south, do, you know Mike Rizzo pretty well. If he's the one in charge, how quickly does this team do? what the Orioles refused to accept in 2017 and move the most valuable pieces they have proactively. And even if they say, let's trade Anthony Rendon right now or, or uh, Max Scherzer, and we'll come back and re-sign them when they're free agents. Well, I, I think, you know, again, that would really mean, you know, this thing's going south. And if that happens then they have to consider that because yeah. if you believe what you read from Scott Boros saying the uh, window for signing Rendon is come and gone. Right. Uh, although, although Anthony has said all along, he has no trouble working on something during the season, mm-hmm. you know, if they want to talk uh, again, you know, you know what kind of ploys Scott Boros uses and mm-hmm. things of that nature. But if they know that they're not going to sign Anthony Rendon to or be able to to a right. long term deal, then they can't play this the same way they played Bryce Harper. Right. They've got to trade Anthony Rendon and get something for him. Same way with a Max Scherzer. Could you do that? Well, Max and and Rizzo met yesterday outside the dugout on that one same warning track that we were on. Right. And we we asked Mike about that conversation and he said that, you know, Max was just expressing his frustration. He says, and we're all frustrated. Sure. Uh, but it was a good conversation. What they decide to do, I don't know. The, the, the learners have never been a group that I don't think would, would have a wholesale fire. I mean, a whole full, you know, fire sale. But at the same time, it makes sense. And of course, this is something that the Orioles learned with Manny Machado and Zach that, Britton and Zach Britton, and, right? And, and Zach Britton that, and well, especially Machado's case, where if you knew that you weren't going to be able to sign him, right, a year and a half, two years prior, then you really needed to get something for him, and the Orioles didn't do that. Yeah, well, because they, and they I, went I, down. I kind of think the Nationals would probably wind up doing that same thing. Yeah, well, I think that's the. That's a mistake in philosophy, in my, in my cool. humble opinion. You know, totally agree with you. All right, we're talking with Craig Heist and uh, Craig. Um, the the rotation now. 
the best laid plans of mice and men were that the top three of Scherzer, Strasburg, and uh, Corbin would be pitching about the way they've been pitching. But they also had uh, the idea that Annabelle Sanchez would be a solid number four and that Hellickson could hold down the fort at number five. Those two things have not worked out, panned out the way they had hoped either. And that's that has been a bit of a setback because when you have the top three pitching as well as they have, but yet not winning games, it really would have helped if Sanchez had been having a really nice season. Yeah, and, you know, you go back to Jeremy Hellickson, too. Hellickson, you know, there were starts where he'd go through five innings, five, six innings, keep you right in the ball game. And I know he has had a couple of clunkers, uh, you know, his last two starts. And that's one of the reasons uh, they found out they found some inflammation and they put him on the IL. And I saw him yesterday and he says he's close to getting back. But you're right, Sanchez doesn't want a game yet. So from that standpoint, when you're only six and you were brought here for, you know, you know, to help bolster this staff, uh, I kind of think that uh, it would behoove him to get going a little bit. And uh, it, it's really weird because you're not getting anything right now out of the four and five slots in the rotation. Yep. And then you're you're dealing with a bullpen that can't hold leads. So yep. it's a uh, it's. it's uh, it's a it's a tough it, it, it's a it's very tough a, scenario. They're, they're in a real big they're in a real big quandary right now as to how to fix that. So yeah, yeah. It just uh, sort, but, uh, and now now that I remember this, it's uh, Sandy Alcantara yep. for uh, Miami today. Yep, yep. Four oh five is game time down there at Nats four, Park. Four oh five, yeah. Four oh five is game time, and uh, then the Nats have uh, Atlanta for a couple games. Uh, I think that's in Atlanta, correct? That's right. And then they head to Cincinnati for a series. So the, right. Uh, and the Reds have played much, much better of late after getting off to a funky start. Um, they, they are rapidly closing the gap between them and the Cubs. So it doesn't get much easier for uh, uh, manager Davey Martinez and his crew. Right. right, and it doesn't. And, you know, when you sit, you're looking at the schedule going down the line and you, you say, okay, Atlanta to uh, – and then, and then turn around and go to Cincinnati. Well, the, the whole thing with that is you, you, you look at it from afar and say, okay, well, this is, this is a team that you should be able to deal with. But, uh, you know, you can't take care of your own business at, at this point. So it's, it's a situation where they can't take anybody lightly. they got to go out there and play the way they're capable of playing and see if they can string some wins together. All right. Well, we appreciate your joining us, and uh, hopefully we'll see you in studio depending upon the schedule next week. We really and appreciate what it. And what the hell happened with Michael Givens last night? <laughs> Boy, that was rough. Very but, but rough. But you know what? I got, I got, you know, in his defense last night, in his defense, the pitch that Story hit out for the game winner. Right. That was not a bad pitch. No. I did not think. No. Now, the guy last yeah. night that really blew it was Armstrong, who hadn't had yeah. one bad outing for the team and then gives up those two home runs. It's pretty amazing. Right. All right. Uh, we'll talk to you uh, shortly. Enjoy the game today at four Oh five. All right, Stan. Take care. Thank you very much. All right. Stop by sliders, Baltimore's favorite local sports bar to watch the big games, including Stanley cup playoffs and the NCAA lacrosse tournament food and drink specials. Every day sliders is located just 771 feet from home plate across from Camden Yards. And Sliders is a proud sponsor of the brand-new Ross Grimsley Show 
Tuesday mornings in the 9 a.m. hour, and it's available throughout the week at PressBoxOnline.com slash Ross Grimsley Show. We appreciate our friends at Sliders. We remind you, you, we are broadcasting from the live casino hotel studios, um, and uh, we are going to make our connection with Lee Lowenfish momentarily. Indeed, indeed. Hopefully the Orioles can uh, put a little bit better finish in the books one of these games soon, as uh, despite their leads, uh, the early game leads, they have not exactly translated to wins. Nope. Tonight, 9-10 is start time. Andrew Kashner, uh, the best that the Orioles have in the starting rotation, goes against Kyle Freeland. And then uh, tomorrow at 3 o'clock, David Hess goes against Jermaine Marquez uh, again at 3 o'clock. Having the a hell Orioles. Of a year. Marquez yeah. is having a very good year. A Tampa Bay prospect. Uh, we remind you again, we are broadcasting from the live casino hotel studios in beautiful Hamden, downtown Hamden. Uh, Orioles are back home Monday, 105, so a rough, quick turnaround for the club. Uh, they play at 3 o'clock in Colorado tomorrow, which is actually 1 o'clock Colorado time, but the club figures to get home anywhere from about 11 o'clock to 1 o'clock in the morning tomorrow, and then they have the turnaround of Monday at 105. A little bit of unfair scheduling there, Kyle, for the Orioles. Um, let's uh, join uh, right now with an old friend, and I always introduce him as my old professor of American Studies at UMBC, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, uh, and a noted uh, and uh, well-thought-of uh, baseball author, and that is Lee Lowenfish. Lee, how are you? Well, I just booted up belatedly. Uh, three out of the four Oriole teams in the minors won yesterday, so that's, that's something. <laughs> that is, but, that is yeah, something. But one of the guys we got uh, from the Yankees, who's evidently a really good guy, I know somebody who knows him well, Josh Rogers, got really lit up for Norfolk. So, But, you yeah. know, what, what are you going to say? I, I got back uh, from dinner. Uh, actually, I saw a college game last night up at Fordham. Uh, I, I listen. I uh, I know Maryland got knocked out of their Big Ten tournament yesterday. But for those who are finding it very hard to watch the major league team right now, it's a lot of good college high school baseball, and I love the game. So, All right. uh, and you know, going to a game at Fordham, you know, where there are plaques for Frankie Frisch, Big Ed Walsh. I never, I didn't know that Big Ed Walsh uh, was the great. Uh, Spitballer, Hall of Famer, uh, the greatest line ever, I think, in sports writing. Ed Walsh was the only man who could strut sitting down, and I didn't realize he was uh, from Fordham. So you learn something new every day in this game. So well, it's always good to be on with my star pupil. Well, we are learning. We are learning a lot about our uh, patients uh, watching the Baltimore Orioles right now with uh, no clear-cut end in sight for what we're going through this given season. Is this about what you expected, or frankly, are you surprised at, at the win-loss record, 21 games under five hundred? Well, it's not. The, I didn't expect much from the win-loss record. I did not expect the pitching to be this horrible. I, yeah. knew, I knew it would be it would be a work in progress, but... But, I mean, there are no words to describe uh, what this pitching staff is or isn't. And I saw, they just read on The Athletic this morning, Dan Connolly's piece about Kashner is not in a hurry to leave. 
Right. And I, and I how if he leaves, how how can we <laughs> see this team that that they they either get blown out or they can't hold the lead? Yeah. I mean, it, you know. Yeah, it, it, it's. But other, but other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you enjoy the play? <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, I, I was talking to a, a scout that, that uh, really knows his stuff, but was laid off by the new group, and and he says Mancini is the one thing he can point to as a really nice development, uh, but he should be playing first base. I mean, he did a hell of a job learning the outfield, but. He's really a first baseman, but uh, but but other than him, I mean, it, yeah, it's uh, it's it's not good. It's not yeah, good. and and I so <laughs> I wonder, uh, and I really mean this. Uh, I did a little commentary last night on the Mid Atlantic Sports Report. I'm on a couple times a week normally now on the uh, show from five to six thirty on the flagship uh, channel of Masson. And uh, they give us an assignment each show, what to watch for tonight. And I said, I wonder if we're watching the beginning of a new new chapter in the Chris Davis saga, facing a right-handed starter in a home run hitting ballpark, and he was on the bench to start the game last night. I I'm, noticed I'm, that. I'm looking, I'm looking at a team that is probably trying to find a way now to bring DJ Stewart up, and I think a lot of people thought – well, they got the most they were going to get out of Renato Nunez. They'll probably DFA him and maybe send him outright him if he if he goes through waivers. And all of a sudden, he's hit a couple home runs at the and same his time. Work ethic, evidently, yeah, is very good. But know? at the same time, Chris Davis is back in a funk. His uh, last forty at bats, he's hitting one twenty five. Uh, what looked like a pretty amazing turnaround has slipped back in a hole. It's not the same kind of hole Uenis Cespedes has stepped in. Uh, but I'm wondering if we are about a couple weeks away from seeing the end of the Chris Davis era altogether in Baltimore. Well, t- to me, it comes down to the to the financial question that I don't really understand. I mean, uh, the. They they owe him all that money, just like the Yankees are paying Ellsbury to stay away. Right. Uh, how would that how would that affect a potential sale of the team or just the finances today? Right. I, I yeah, but but clearly, I I agree that you can't keep there are too many outs in the lineup the way the way there is, you know, and and it's just painful to watch. Yeah. I mean, they're not even foul balls right now. Yeah. And well, so, what's what's happened uh, all of a sudden with him again, though, is the strikeouts have picked back up again, I know. and uh, so many of them not even swinging the bat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, so, uh, very distressing. They, now, moving to another less cheerful topic, even than that, is the fact that if you if you really analyzed Lee going into this season, three players, and I'm talking back in March three players that might bring you a little bit of something in return at midseason this year. I think we all would agree that if Alex Cobb were having a good season, that some contending team, if he were showing he was a viable starting pitcher again, would have been attractive, despite the fact he has two years left beyond this year. Uh, I also think that Mark Trumbo, 
uh, given the fact he only had the one year left and you'd be picking him up in July where you'd only owe him six and a half, seven million dollars, he could have been attractive. And I think we would have thought that Michael Givens would be the closer on this team and and be, you know, attractive, very attractive at this time of year. And that that seemed to be trending that way to ten days ago. And all of a sudden, Michael Givens has really fallen off the edge of the earth this past week. Well, you know, as I mentioned to you the other day, I mean, you know, Givens, the whole story of Givens could, is, if you want a epitome of what's wrong with our farm system, a number two round draft pick as an infielder. I saw him play, yeah. I think, at Delmarva or, or Frederick, maybe, as a second baseman shortstop. Wasn't he drafted? I mean, I, I, wasn't he drafted I, in the same draft that Jerry Naren's kid was drafted? And they thought quite possibly. Yeah, yeah they quite thought possibly. incredibly highly of both of them. Yeah. And 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 you know he wants to play. He's he's a good. He's an athlete. You know, but the, the the whole issue of the the arm angle and and the consistency has never been straightened out. Yeah. And so I never was a person that thought. He was going to sort of fit in now with O'Day and Brack gone. Mm-hmm. The that he was uh, because he had never really shown the consistency, and so it, it's now. It, uh, also, I'm not when when you when you have to to trade somebody, which is what happened last year. You don't get the blue chip prospects. You yeah. know, I mean, there, there's I don't know if anyone coming out of the uh, those trades, the fire sales last year is going to be a keeper. I mean, I've heard scouts say that Dean Kramer, who's back from the oblique injury, right, uh, uh, has a lot of potential. I mean, he led the minors in strikeouts, but it is the minors, you know. It so, is the uh, minors. He he is one somebody who I think is really a, a decent prospect. And, and uh, Pop I know, was, too. Pop was, too, until the Tommy. T- <laughs> yes, so, he has Tommy I mean, John surgery. Yeah. And, and Ortiz, who they got for Gaussman, you know, I mean, is the, no Ortiz. Uh, they got they got Ortiz in the um, oh, scope well, trade. Scope, scope, scope trade. Yeah. yeah. Well, he has had a weight issue, and so it's uh, and yes, and it's really <laughs> no. The three the three supposed prize arms were Josh Rogers, Ortiz, and Dylan Tate, and none of the three of them look right now like they are making a push at all to be considered as alternatives I mean, to the worst know, pitching staff in baseball. I mean, that's pretty damning when you have the I worst know. pitching staff by by miles over anyone else, and these three prospects um, really aren't making a push at all. By the way, one name that has kind of surfaced out of nowhere is this kid from Maryland, Bruce Zimmerman. He was the guy oh, yeah. picked up in, yeah. his, in the Gosman O'Day trade. Uh, yeah. He is surfacing as a little bit of a prospect at, uh, I think it's at Frederick right now. That's right. And he booing. was at Del- Delmarva last year. And I, the, the, the Delmarva remains kind of an amazing story. And I, and with all their wins, you know, but the, they're 34 it, it, and nine, or I think it I is. I think it's 36 and 10 now. So, wow. you know, really, if you're an Oriole fan and can't get, get rid of the addiction, uh, the the way to somehow alleviate the problem is to go to milb dot com and see how how the miners are doing. I mean, you know, Bowie is is got off to a horrible start, but they're they're playing better. And uh, but th- Diaz is out still. Yeah, he's so still out. By the way, getting back to Bruce Zimmerman, he's actually at Bowie. 
This whole season, he's made eight starts, 44 innings, 34 hits, 15 walks, which figures to a whip of 111. Batting average against is 207, and the ERA is 2.25. His win-loss record is just 1-1, one and one, and he's only given up five home runs in 44 innings, which is roughly one every eight and two-thirds innings. And, and you know, Dad, just, just remember, these are minor league stats against minor league hitters. You know? Yeah, and, I, I've, been and, taught, I've been taught by some that the, the stats that are really misleading when it comes to pitching, and I've never really dove into this to, to find out, but are the Delmarva stats that the umpiring in that league is very different. It has a very wide strike zone and a lot of pitchers that come out of Delmarva looking like they're eye-popping. When they get to Frederick, there's a whole difference in how they pitch. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts, though, on the broader issue of baseball about what's going to stop the attendance slide? And it's real now. Yeah, yeah, it's not I mean, it's just not, a Baltimore Oriole problem. It's not weather, you know. Yeah. It's 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 real. I and think I think that uh, is it. Tyler Kepner, his book uh, K. Uh, now I've not read the book, but I understand it really takes a deep dive into how much inaction is in the game. You know, between the strikeouts, the home runs, uh, and the walks. And, and the there's very little action going on. There aren't rallies that go on. It's uh, it's like an all or nothing ball game, which is driven by the analytics, and maybe it's been overdriven by the analytics, and maybe maybe on mass people at a certain percentage are saying, you know, I don't really need to be at that game. Yeah. Well, have you heard the whispers about the? Uh possibility that it's not a slam dunk we take the catcher from Oregon State because they might have some arm issues I mean I, I, I'd I, be wary of taking a switch inning catcher and not just because Weeders didn't get yeah. out as the you know the Mauer with power and for that matter I'm not sure Mauer was really as good as as the hype well I'll but, give but you it, I'll give you yeah. I'll give you a good read if you go to pressboxonline.com and type in high stakes of number 1 our uh, editor Luke Jackson did the cover story for this I month's read it. paper. It's very good. He it's did very a very good. nice job. Uh, it wasn't the the deep dive Dan Connolly's piece Dan Connolly's piece in the Athletic. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm okay. here. Yeah. Yeah, we just heard a beep like it was a call waiting or something like that. Yeah. It was um he, you know, Dan Connolly's piece was 39 pages long, his piece. If you printed it out, it was 39 pages. Uh, this is not that type of piece. It doesn't focus on one player. It focuses on the, uh, on the whole process. But he did talk to Jim Duquette. And Jim Duquette, his opinion was that catchers, number one catchers now, are more like 120-game performers. Uh, and with the injury and how banged up you get, you, you just don't know if you're getting a 12- or 14-year guy or whether it's a 6- or 7-year guy. And his his inclination was that the shortstop makes more long-term sense. Well, yeah, the comparison has been made you know, to Korea, who was not on the top 10 list when right. the Astros took him. You know? But, you know, to me, the, the makeup, Still is so important, and and you know the fact that the analytic people just don't because they can't put a number on it, they try to ignore it. I mean that's that's the biggest mistake that's being made, you know. And I mean it's really it's it's 
you know, and when you consider that that Mancini was what an eighth round pick. Yep. I mean, what what's happening? And, and you know, the sad thing. I mean, or not sad. It's real. The realistic thing is that very few teams know how to how to develop talent, and you got to give the Yankees credit. And it's hard for me to do it. Oh, but you know, it's... they've added farm teams and. They've made incredibly good good choices. I and mean, they've known who to get rid of, and they've they've known who to who, I, to, who to nurture. I mean, they've got an infielder this Tyro Tyro Estrada. Yeah, he's like their eighth infielder. You know, yeah. if everybody's healthy, he's he's better than any infielder the Orioles have. I know. He, he's absolutely a, a really marvelous little player to watch. Lee, before we um, – we've got about two minutes uh, because we're – the reason I bumped you up a little bit, we're expecting the new UMBC baseball coach, uh, Liam Bowen, uh, to be calling in at 11.20, so we wanted not him to get a busy signal. But let Good. me ask you a question, this issue of development and scouting. You took it upon yourself to, to start a book uh, a couple weeks ago – I mean, a, a couple several months ago – about scouting. Oh, that's him calling us. Uh, Lee, let me do. Let me do this. I'm going to let you go. We will try and call you back in 20 minutes if you're available. All right. Okay. Is, is there any way I can listen into his interview? Pressboxonline.com/slash/radio. Okay, we'll do it. I'll be right. here and call me on the. the I get a. I I hear you better on the regular phone. You know, okay. The, the, all right. Okay. Okay. Bye. Very Bye. good. Bye-bye. All right. We'll try and make our contact with Coach uh, Liam Bowen, who and he was too he was too good. There we go. Hey, Coach Bowen. All right. Liam Bowen will join us in just a moment. Let me tell you about the Costas Inn, the Costas Inn located 4100 North Point Boulevard. I had a great crab cake there the other night. I went out Thursday night after the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report. Uh, they've got specials every night of the week. Thursday night is lobster night. Wednesday night is um, steak night. Tuesday night is uh, crab cake night. And Monday night is rib night. They've got entertainment there. Uh, they've got steamed crabs at the Costas Inn, 4100 North Point Boulevard. It is the place to go if you're in the mood for steamed crabs, a crab cake, or a whole host of other great options. Family-style dining at the Costas Inn, 410-477-1975. All right, do we have Coach Bowen? He is with us? Okay, yes, Coach sir. Bowen, thank you very much for calling in. We're not used to guests calling in earlier than their appointed uh, scheduled time, so we apologize. <laughs> we're, in the midst of, uh, we're in the midst of an interview, but we wanted to dash in and grab you. Uh, no, that, that's fine. All right, first of all, tell us a little bit about Liam Bowen. Uh, where'd you come from? I know you were on uh, Coach Mama's staff there at UMBC. Tell us a little bit about your background. Well, I'm uh, born and raised in Maryland. I'm from Silver Spring, and I went to Blair High School. Um, I was an O2 graduate there. Uh, from there, I played my college ball in Minnesota at McAllister College. Um, came back to Maryland for my first coaching job at St. Mary's College uh, in Division Three. Spent a year in Division Two at Lincoln Memorial University, and then I'd been the uh, pitching coach and most recently the associate head coach at UMBC uh, over the course of the past eight years. So I uh, spent most of my life in Maryland, and, and certainly my family and I are thrilled uh, that we're going to be able to continue uh, at UMBC and in our home state. 
Well, we're excited for you. Uh, the program, uh, as I looked up the roster, now I'm not I'm not an expert on college baseball, but when I look at 31 plus players, only six are seniors. That means you probably had a fairly young club this year. Very young, very young. It was the first time we had been young in a while. We had had a a string of four years where we we had been uh, we or we had had a winning record in our conference. Each year, uh, we won the conference one of those years. We lost in the championship game of the conference another one of those years. Uh, and, and truthfully, we were a little bit spoiled. We had some, some pretty outstanding veterans, some, some amazing kids, the guys who've gone on uh, and become uh, you know, really uh, honorable alumni of our place. And in, in our business, uh, in any college sport, there, there comes a time where you have to reset and, uh, and start over a little bit. And that was the case this year. But I think we're going to show some value for that experience going forward. We certainly have some young players that we're excited about. We have another group uh, of players coming in that we're really excited about. So, um, well, yeah, we're just we're really, uh, you know, looking forward to building the next championship team at our place, and we think we have some of the ingredients already. Let me ask you about that process. Uh, the timing of your taking over the team, you became the associate head coach with about seven games left in the season. Is that considered late? Is that early uh, in terms of recruiting? It would seem like it's a little bit of a jarring change at that time. How was recruiting affected by that? Uh, not as much as you, as you might think. I think we, uh, we definitely got the benefit of some continuity in terms of um, you know me taking over the program. Mm-hmm. I had been the guy that had been the recruiting coordinator and, uh, you know, started the recruiting process with not only our current players, uh, but a, a lot of our committed players as well. And, you know, it was a matter of a few phone calls and um, just trying to get people up to speed on our situation. But I think that the players and their families appreciated that the the person that represented the program when they first kind of got in contact yep. with UMBC baseball was still going to be there and, and was still going to stand behind any commitments that we, that we made and, you know, the values that we talk about in the recruiting process and in our program. So uh, that continuity, I, I think, was to our benefit, and the response has been really good from both the current players uh, and the ones that, you know, we have coming in the future. So typically, what is the size of a new recruiting class? I mentioned six seniors. Are you hoping to fill six slots plus a few others and add 10, 10 12 new players? Or is, is, this, that, is, is that about it, like six or eight? No, this one will be a little bit bigger uh, for a number of reasons, and um, it just varies year to year. Uh, truthfully, it's it comes down to where, you know, obviously we were where we're losing players like you alluded to, and then also where we feel like we maybe need to uh, maybe create more of a competitive advantage against our schedule. So it, that's a constant, constant process. You know, we have recruiting meetings at a bare minimum once a week. But, you know, most weeks are, are are more often than that, and it's something that we do every day. I mean, you know, every uh, day that I wake up, that that we're working, which uh, you know, my my family would tell you is is the vast majority of the days. You know, we we don't get a lot of days off in Division One baseball. Uh, we're we're doing something from a recruiting standpoint. I mean, I'm calling in. Uh, from Delaware right now, we've got a, a 12 o'clock start for a game that I need to see. And it, it's just something where if if you're not gaining on recruiting, I think you're losing ground with how competitive our league has gotten and just the, the quality of the job that some of these other coaching staffs do. So it's, it's a big challenge, but 
um, it's certainly kind of how I cut my teeth as a recruiting coordinator. And then the guys who are on our staff, uh, Ryan Terrell and Mitch Cooksey, I think are outstanding recruiters and you know give us you know, reasons to be confident in our future. We're talking to Coach Liam Bowen. He's the new head men's ba- baseball coach at UMBC. Liam, uh, scheduling-wise, do you play all the local teams? Do you play Coppin? Do you play Towson? Uh, do you play the University of Maryland? Uh, how's that go? We do. We do. And, and it's really important to me in any given season that not only we do well in our league, the America East Conference, but that we do well in what I kind of call our local league, where we play our midweek games against a lot of the schools you mentioned, and more all the schools that are within maybe about an hour's drive mm-hmm. of our campus, which is a huge benefit to us and our players that we can find so much good competition so close by. Um, you know, it's obviously less pressure on guys missing class and, you know, the, the travel that we ask our players to do. So uh, being able to consistently compete well against those teams it's important in recruiting. And I think it's also important from a pride standpoint in terms of representing our university. I mean, our players oftentimes grew up playing against or with some of the players on some of those other rosters. So those games are really meaningful to us. And, you know, we enjoy competing against all those schools. So I was looking at uh, uh, an article that mentioned that you had five players chosen to the America East all-conference team, either first or second team. But I only saw four names. I saw the names of pitchers Stephen Schock and Colin Casey. Then I saw senior A.J. Wright and Terrence Pinkston. So I'm not sure who the fifth player was. But can you tell me a little bit about uh, Schock and Casey, their pitchers, and pitching was sort of your special area of uh, expertise. Uh, Tell us a little bit about those two guys. Sure. Well, um, Stephen Schock uh, has been our closer for the last two years. Um, he's, he's definitely a special pitcher. He set the single season saves record at our school, uh, last year in the 2018 season. And then this year he uh, got a few more saves and set the career record. Uh, he's a guy who I think has a bright professional future. He comes from a lower arm angle. He's kind of a sidearm guy, kind of in the, the Darren O'Day mold, uh, for your, your Orioles fans mm-hmm. that are listening. And, um, just a, a really elite competitor and a guy who, is really pitching from that slot. I think at our level where, where the players are younger, sometimes you have guys who are throwing from a sidearm or submarine slot who are um, still learning that, that craft. That's a very specific skill. And he's a, a guy who's done it since high school. He had a great career at Good Council High School uh, locally. And um, he, he's, he's just further along uh, and a little bit more polished than the average guy that you see down there. So, certainly and what, a guy and what year, this. Coach, what year is he? Is he a junior or sophomore? He, he graduated this year. Oh, he graduated. So, okay. Yeah, he, he actually sent me a, a picture of him in his cap and gown. I was uh, really happy to see it. So, um, he's uh, he, he's certainly a guy who can look back proudly on a really good career. And Colin Casey, the other one you mentioned, is actually our catcher, but I thought okay. um, did a, a great job of, of handling our pitching staff, was a, a, a player who transferred in from uh, another university and uh, was just a really competitive kid that was able to hit the ground running and handle uh, a big catching load after some injuries. So I was glad to see him get re- rewarded with an end-of-the-season uh, award. Uh, himself getting back to Stephen Schock then if he's a senior do you, do you and you said he probably has a bright p- professional uh, career ahead of him is he somebody that could be in next week's draft it's certainly a possibility um you know the draft is always 
uh, a little bit of a mystery uh, mm-hmm. at the college level. You know, there's um, there, there's only so much you can know about it. Uh, I know he's uh, been in contact with several professional organizations. He's uh, gone to some workouts. Uh, I've gotten a lot of texts from scouts about him over the course of the year. I've I've sung his praises to anybody that will listen right. for two years. I can tell you that. I think, you know, he's somebody who's going to make our school and our program really proud when he gets that opportunity. I think he's going to be a successful pro. But, um, you know, it's it's 30 different rooms where those yeah. decisions are being made. And you, and you just, you don't, from where we sit, you don't always have a feel for how those discussions are going to go. But I think he's going to make somebody really happy whenever that day comes and however it comes. So as I'm just getting to know you, and we'll just keep you, are you okay for another three, four minutes, five minutes? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, I really as I get to know it. you a little bit, I know you're at the base, at the college baseball level, uh, but what's going on in pro baseball right now with the amazing number of home runs being hit, uh, I, I know you probably use a very different baseball than major leagues, but major leagues baseball, but uh, do you see the same things going on at the college level, or or is it vastly different there? I would say it is. That's a great question, and it's something that I think about quite a bit. I would say that our level is sort of a um, you might say like a trailing indicator of what happens at the professional level. Right. Like I think we're um, some years behind, as you might imagine, as you know the the influence of the major league game trickles down and the the players that we're coaching now grew up you know watching a certain style of baseball you know when they turned on their tv as kids um i think in some ways if if you're maybe a little bit of a uh, baseball purist or or you're somebody who appreciates maybe a little bit more of a well-rounded game than Mm -hmm. than our level has a lot to offer you as a fan i think you know in the in the pro game the guys are just they're so incredibly strong now and and the um, the level of play has gotten so out of sight that the, uh, the the more vertical swings, the attempt to get the ball in the air, I think you can you can put together a big league lineup where one through nine you can send up um, a, a, just a chain of guys who can uh, leave the yard at any given moment. College is a little bit different. Sure. You know, it's there's only so many people with that kind of special power, so there's a lot of players who have to do it in a different way and a lot of my job and a lot of our coaching staff's job is to get players to understand what their identity is and how they can impact games at our level. And it's not as, um, it's not as maybe uh, cookie cutter is maybe too harsh a term, but sometimes it feels like the big league game is a little cookie cutter now, whereas mm-hmm. you can have a guy who's uh, swinging uphill in the middle of your order in college and, and trying to hit long fly balls over the outfielders heads. And then, you know, three batters later, there's a guy who's a, a threat to drag bunt or, maybe handle the bat on a hit and run or steal some bases or what have you. So um, that's one thing I love about our game and, and, and I love about the, the development process with our players is getting to kind of unlock each guy's best way of, of helping us win. So at the major league level, we're now, and, and the minor league level, we're hearing this term analytics. We've heard it for five or eight years, but it's really more and more a part of the game is baseball at the level that you're coaching now, Coach? Is it is it analytically driven at all, or is it more old school in terms of what you see and how you teach uh, to get the most out of players? I think it's a combination of both, and that's one of the reasons that it's really fun uh, for me, and I think it's really exciting for the players. We have more numbers and more data than ever. There are things that we can show our players to help them with the development process, 
that, that are I think would fall under the analytics umbrella. There are, are things that we use in our scouting report that maybe weren't possible ten years ago in terms of you know spray charts or where our opponents hit the hit the ball or how we should line up defensively, how we should attack different guys. But I think the the data environment we're talking about in college baseball it's it's never going to be what it is in pro baseball. I mean, pro baseball they've got a number for every blade of grass on the field just because. Um, of how closely studied it is, and for us, it's it, the the numbers. I, I think would impress a, a casual observer in their detail, but it's it's not quite at that major league level. So I think there's always going to be an element of feel and of maybe what you would call uh, kind of old school coaching. But I think no matter the level, like it really comes down to relationships. Like you can, the the, the analytics piece is a is a tool that you can use to refine your process, but it's all about building trust with the players and, and that's as old school as it gets it just takes work ethic and empathy and you know all the things that all of our parents taught us so um, you know that that's where it starts it's where we focus and, and if analytics can put you know another tool in our toolbox then we're all the better for it um, but it's it, I don't think it's ever going to quite be at that major league level of refinement we're talking with Liam Bowen he's the new head coach of baseball at uh, UMBC Liam before I let you go I've got one other quick question for you. I had on the uh, president of the Atlantic League. Uh, that's an independent league that has just signed a three- or five-year deal with baseball, where baseball, I guess, is pay- paying for the install of the TrackMen te- technology at all the ballparks. In return, the Atlantic Hawkeye. League- the Hawkeye technology? No, well, TrackMen is already in place. Not in the, the Atlantic Hawk- League. Oh, 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 oh my Atlantic mistake. Apologies, okay. apologies. That's okay. Um, but the, the, the point of the question was, so this technology is being put in these ballparks there. In return, the league has agreed to be sort of a, a laboratory for Major League Baseball to experiment with some things. One of the things they're talking about at midseason this year in the Atlantic League is moving the pitcher's mound from 60 feet, 6 inches, to 62 feet and 3 inches, I think. It's 2 feet, 1 inch further. Um, do you have any thoughts about that as a sort of a means of combating how much velocity is changing the game? Uh, it's another really good question. It's, it's something as you know, somebody who loves baseball and in particular loves pitching that I, I, I've thought about quite a bit. Um, so you're I aware think, you're aware of this discussion, right? Yes, definitely, yeah. definitely. You, you know, there there are players from our league and um, from our team actually uh, that have played in the Atlantic League, and I know it's going to be a big change for the the players that are involved. I think moving the mound back is going to be interesting. I think obviously it'll give the hitter a little bit more time uh, on the higher velocity, like you mentioned. the The impact on uh, movement on the ball is is going to be something that. Um, I would watch closely, you know, just see how that extra two feet for a pitcher to maybe spin a breaking ball or get a change up to tumble or, or what have you, uh, how that'll impact the, the batter pitcher matchup. Um, I, I do think as much of a, you know, lover of baseball as I am and as, a, as much of a traditionalist as I can be, I think as a sport, we do have to grapple with the idea that the, the athletes that are playing our game are just so different than they have been in previous generations with the advancements in strength and conditioning mm. and um, just the, the way that the development process has become so much more specific. Um, I can even tell you I'm 35 years old, and 
when I was playing college baseball, a guy who was really dedicated in the weight room and, and really pushed his body uh, from a training standpoint stood out. He was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of a, an outlier and, and people would kind of notice that that's the bare minimum that it takes to just stay on the field in college baseball. Now, not to mention the pro game, right. um, just the, the level of strength and, and the way that we can train these athletes now is, is just so, so much better. And it, it hasn't even been all that long a time. So whatever the answer is, I, I think, I think baseball has got to engage with it. I think if we keep the game exactly the same when the, when the athletes have trained, changed so dramatically, then you're going to get, um, it's going to sort of upset the the environment in a way that maybe fans won't always appreciate, and that's got to be maintained. So let me ask you this, just from a practical standpoint, if you really would move forward, not you, but I'm saying if the game says, boy, this experiment looks really interesting, we're going we're gonna to start trying to get this in all the minor leagues, doesn't that mean that every college stadium – like your stadium that you play in where Matt Tyner plays at Towson or all the high schools, they have to change the pitcher's mound too? And the, just the simple cost and logistics of doing that seem absolutely astounding to me because you wouldn't want a high school student training at 60 feet 6 inches when he's going to go to college where there might be 62 7 inches. Sure, sure. It would be a big change for the sport. I, I guess I would say, you know, at, at a certain point, it's the, the cost benefit, you know, yeah. it's, if, the, if, if you really feel like, and, and maybe this experiment in the Atlantic league will, will bear fruit, or maybe there's another experiment down the line that, you know, shows that, that the game can be adjusted in a way that's beneficial for everybody that loves it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think eventually that outweighs the cost. Um, you right. know, I, I, I'm, I'm appreciative that, you know, the Atlantic League has made themselves, you know, guinea pigs, so to yeah. speak, and that, and that baseball is working on this because I, I think as much as we love our sport, I, don't, I, don't, I think it's unrealistic to ex- expect it to, as the athletes have changed so much, like I said, for, for it to, to stay exactly the same. Yeah. It's interesting taking that, that theory over to basketball. I remember Charlie Ekman, the late Charlie Ekman, who I don't know if you even know who he is, but uh, he used to talk about this 20 years ago, that basketball, the athletes had gotten so so great that the court was too small for these this many players on the court at the same time. I think there's something to that. I, I really do. I think, that, you know, the people who drew up these sports, you know, uh, baseball, basketball, I think there's a real genius in them. That's why they stood the test of time. Yeah. I think nobody is so clairvoyant that they could say, hey, look, in, in a, a hundred years when guys are so much bigger, faster, stronger, this is still going to work. You know, I, I think we're demanding too much of the, the founders of our games if, if that's our mindset. So uh, I'm, I'm maybe a, a little bit more progressive than mm-hmm. some in terms of, you know, trying to kind of play with the dials, yep. so to speak. But I just think it's, it's something that's clearly coming down the pike. And, you know, I intend to – you know, coach baseball for the, the rest of my life, and I expect that there are going to be some changes, and I'm okay with that. And whatever changes there are, you know, at UMBC, we'll try and be as proactive as possible about making the most of them. Hey, thank you very much for joining us on short notice, sure Liam. Uh, sure appreciate really it. Appreciate Best of luck. Time. Best of luck to you at uh, UMBC. All right. Take care, guys. All right. Thank you very much. 
Interesting conversation there with Liam Bowen, the new UMBC baseball coach, and we appreciate his coming on. Uh, Glenn just threw that out to me on Thursday and uh, uh, penned uh, David Castellanos over there, one of the uh, athletic department SID folks, uh, and we were able to get Coach Bowen on. Very yeah, interesting conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, do we want to take a break and then yeah, try and we make? We'll that. try and reconnect with Lee for yeah. a couple minutes. Um, we're broadcasting from the live casino hotel studios here at Pressbox. Far be it from me to forget that. We appreciate the folks at live casino hotel studio, and let me tell you about them a little bit. Uh, live casino hotel studio. They've got another great concert on the schedule. You can get your tickets now to see Boz Skaggs and the Out of the Blue Tour on Friday, June 28th. Tickets start at $45 and include $10 in free slots play. Go to livecasinohotel.com now to get your tickets. We will be back. We'll try and reconnect with my friend and author, Lee Lowenfish, right after this. Spend this Memorial Day at Oriole Park and watch the O's take on the Tigers. Be one of the first 20,000 fans ages 21 and over to get a pair of Orioles outdoor pint glasses. Presented by Sam Adams. There's no better place to kick off the summer than the ballpark. Check out the Orioles Rooftop Bar, where the local brews are flowing all summer long. And for food, Boog's Barbecue has you covered with a brand new look and the same great taste. Let us take care of the grilling while you kick back and enjoy the holiday. Summer starts here, so be part of it all. Visit Orioles.com for tickets. Baltimore's favorite bar is just 771 feet from home play to Camden Yards. Sliders Bar and Grill, just steps from Camden Yards, is the perfect sports bar for baseball season. Daily specials include Mexican Monday, Wing Ding Wednesday, Bloody Brunch Sunday, and more with different drink specials every day of the week. You can also book your private parties at Sliders with great spaces upstairs and on the outdoor patio overlooking Camden Yards. See every Orioles game on dozens of TVs and stop by before or after home games sliders baltimore's neighborhood sports bar see them at slidersbaltimore.com and be sure to visit sliders today one third of crash fatalities in maryland are due to impaired driving don't be a statistic be legendary what does it mean to be legendary it means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one never drinking then getting behind the wheel making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed always speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver remember sober drivers save lives. This safety message is brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation. Visit BeLegendaryMD.com Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. The latest edition of Press Box is available now on the cover. Luke Jackson dives into the options the Orioles have with the number one pick in the MLB draft and the significance of them picking number one for just the second time ever as they're in the throes of a rebuild. Plus, Bo Smolka looks into the Oklahoma connections developing for the Ravens after using two of their first five picks on former Sooners for the second year in a row. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com.
Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer here from Glenn Clark Radio. Kyle, you know, I'm regularly asked by folks about how we get so many great guests on our show. Well, I, I work really hard to get some of the biggest names on with us. I know you do, and the world recognizes it, but I want to challenge you to try to get some even bigger guests on the show moving forward. Okay, who do you have in mind? Well, nothing crazy. Like, what about Tim Tebow? Uh, or, or how about Leonardo DiCaprio or, or Lady Gaga, maybe Barack Obama? Uh, you know what? I'll settle for Wilt Chamberlain. But I think he died. What? Yeah, like 20 years ago. So that's a maybe? Maybe Java Chamberlain. Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio and Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. No one wants to talk to Java Chamberlain. If trying something new was a bad idea, many of us would still be wearing polyester. This message is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. You may know us for our great burgers and wings, but Glory Days Pros mix it up with the fresh cedar plank salmon, cut in-house and grilled to perfection, or sizzling and juicy steaks, meaty ribs, we have handcrafted salads and sandwiches by our talented chefs. Change tastes good, we promise. Experience the Glory Days Grill menu in all its glory. Glory Days Grill, great food. Good sports. You okay? All right, we are back on the battle round, and uh, we are going to make our connection with Mr. Lee Lowenfish. Um, and Lee, by the way, uh, has written about seven or eight books on baseball. And uh, three of them, The Imperfect Diamond, The Art of Pitching, and Ferocious Gentleman, all really known baseball books and real, uh, real studies of different aspects of the game of baseball. Real quick, uh, New York Yankees are in front of the Tampa Bay Rays by two and a half, in front of Boston by six. Minnesota has an eight-game lead over Cleveland. Houston already has a seven-game lead over Texas, seven and a half over Oakland. In the National League, the Phillies have a game and a half lead over Atlanta. The Cubs have a game and a half lead over Pittsburgh. And the Dodgers have a six-game lead over San Diego. Uh, so an interesting season of baseball developing. Probably the most disappointing team in all of Major League Baseball right now would have to be the Washington Nationals at very near – the, the precipice of falling totally out of the race. Joining us now is Lee Lowenfish once again. And, Lee, I appreciate your uh, adapting to our schedule. I'm told that when people call in, they always call in early. I didn't know that. Well, I, you know, I couldn't access the interview, but I read up. I wish uh, Liam all the best. Uh, I, I checked his background. He pitched at McAllister College. Yeah, in um, in Minnesota. Uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, which is a really great school, where um, Kofi Annan, uh, uh, the former, the late the UN uh, Secretary General, went there and had the half mile record for a long time. Wow! So uh, I'm, I'm I wish him well at the uh, Umbeck, and I I guess Jay Witasick is the latest. Uh, uh, UMBC grad that made the majors, right? Or are there others? I'm not sure if anybody. That sounds that sounds right, and it was interesting. Coach Bowen said that uh, one of his players is a sidearming sub, uh, almost submarining, but didn't say the word submarine as a pitcher named Stephen Shock, who he feels has a chance to possibly be drafted. He's a closer. Uh, that he could be drafted in this thing. He made it sound like 
probably after the draft he's signed by somebody uh, as a, a depth piece in an organization, and you see how he develops at this point. You know, I was at this Fordham. Uh, actually, I was at Fordham for the Davidson um, uh, University of Richmond uh, elimination game yesterday. And Davidson, a couple of years ago, knocked North Carolina out. And they had this pitcher. I, I, I'll never forget his name because it's one of the greater names in sports. His name is Duran Olinger. And he sounds he almost like uh, Van Lingle. Sounds almost like Van Lingle Mungo. Well, that's right, and it's yeah. a great old jazz tune. Yeah. You know, linger a while. Well, he he. Uh, you know what happens in in these tournaments, especially in these double elimination games, uh, uh, tourneys where it, it, it's no tomorrow. And he threw something like you know two hundred and thirty fifty pitches over three or four days, and yet the Red Sox drafted him. Or signed him. I, I, they may have said they may have drafted him in a late round, and he played. He pl- he played for a couple of years in the minors, and the uh, uh, he. I guess they they released him in spring training, and it might be over for him. But you know, there was they showed on TV the other night one of the cable channels. There was this twenty-five inning game, and an elimination game between Notre Dame and Boston College. And one of the pitchers threw 140 pitches, and he was a closer, and he had never thrown more than 35. And he threw 140 pitches? Yeah. And, oh, and Jesus. He, he signed, and another one, the guy for Texas threw maybe even more as a starter. And they both, they had they had pro careers, but the, they were probably compromised by, by uh, what they did. I'll never forget and, the story growing up. I must have been six or seven years old that Paul Richards let Jerry Walker, who was a very prized prospect in the Orioles system, throw 16 innings in a game. Yeah. And it was a one nothing game. I can't remember if Walker lost it or won it, but I think it was against the Yankees, and uh, he was never the same pitcher after that. Although, you know, he had a very – he became a general manager. He you was know, a he, terrific yeah, he scout. He was a terrific scout, Jerry Walker. Yeah, really yeah. He was with the Tigers, I think, for a long That's time. That's right. That's right. Uh, we're talking with Lee Lowenfish. Lee, when I last, when we had to cut you off so unceremoniously, I was talking about your next book because, uh, and you told me about this about a year ago. Uh, I think the working title at that time was Endangered Species. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, that's a that's a a, a very convenient, widely used term. Yeah. In all in all sport, uh, not just sports, in the culture at large. But it, 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 what's happening to the scouts since Moneyball has been uh, so many veteran scouts are being laid off. Yeah. And and it, it accelerated with the movie. And now with the a- analytic things, it's, uh, it's become a, a point where it's cheaper uh, and you have... Uh, so many organizations now believe that a- analytics and numbers and algorithms can explain development in baseball. Yeah. And it might explain some of it, but yeah. it, believe me, it, it can't explain makeup and it can't explain, can't substitute for the, for the wisdom of a lot of guys who have beaten the bushes and have found players where, where, um, they have, um, uh, 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 you wouldn't expect them. 
And and to those who say, well, with all the video and stuff, we don't need the eyes and ears. I mean, I I just I feel it's very wrongheaded, and you I think hope it's short-sighted. You think it's short-sighted in the more humanistic direction. You know, yeah. obviously the new stuff can can tell you some things, but it doesn't tell you makeup, and it doesn't it doesn't doesn't really tell you teachability either. You so know. how is it, is the book still in progress? Oh yeah, how's it's in it, progress. How's it I mean, going? I, I, it, it, you know, my publisher did the, the Branch Ricky book, and they also have the the last edition of the Imperfect Diamond out. So they take time. So the the target is to deliver it in next spring and have it out the spring after. So so two thousand twenty one, the spring yeah, of two thousand twenty one. That's our target date. And, and who's the publisher, by the way? University of Nebraska Press. Okay. And um, and it's uh, I've interviewed a lot of old scouts, some of the young, the younger scouts. But you know, I've uh, so many of the scouts are the uh, the ignored people, and uh, I feel a, a a duty to to bring their stories back to life. You know, and the Orioles. You know, when I fell in love with the Orioles, when I met you, I mean, they they were the state of the art. Yeah. You know, we and, just had... and it started with Paul Richards yeah. and. Uh, it was increased by Dalton and uh, and and Cashin and Hank Peters, who I got to know Hank so, uh, pretty well near the end, yeah, and Tom Giordano, who just, who just passed, passed away. away. Yeah. You know, Tom lived. At, you met T Bone. I knew T Bone for close to thirty years. You know, yeah, I went. To, they had a celebration of him at Foley's Bar, which you you've been there. It's right but south of the of the. Um, uh, Empire State Building on 33rd Street, okay. and it's got some of the greatest sports memorabilia. And uh, Sean Clancy uh, is a dual Irish and American citizen. His father, who's still alive and is often at Foley's, uh, uh, ran the uh, was a bartender at Tut Shore, the the legendary watering hole in New York. Is... And uh, and you, yeah, I've met so many fascinating people at. Uh, at Foley's, including the retired umpire Jim Joyce, yeah, and uh, and so it's it's quite a place to be. And T Bone's family and friends came. Not enough of the of the baseball people could come because it was the game. It was the first Sunday of the season, and the Orioles were playing the Yankees, and the game didn't start till four because of the weather. Right. Yeah, but but no, T T Bone should never be forgotten. You know because he. He was both for. He worked with Peters with the A's in Kansas City and Oakland. Right. He was involved in the signing of Reggie Jackson. Right. And Bando and that that whole group, and 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 he served as both a player development and scouting director for the Orioles under Hank. And Peters. then he went to Cleveland with them. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Then later at Cleveland, you know. Yeah. And let's put it this way: they were not. They were not fans of Edward Ben Williams. No, so. well, I mean, Ed was uh, he was a different type of owner. There's no question about it. He was yeah, very, and, but different. you know, the thing is, and that's why it's important, and why I can't ever give up baseball for all the horrors that happen and with to your teams, you know, with with players off the field. It is still such a wonderful, wonderful game, and it well, is. You know, I'm going to be teaching at Chautauqua again at the end of July, and. Uh, one of the themes of the class, and that I hope I live to see change, 
is that baseball is what this country used to be and football is what it's become. Yeah. You know? yeah. Meaning that baseball, you know, the, the unpredictability and how hard work will pay off often, if not always, you know, and yeah. as Earl would put it, and I guess he got it from Harry Truman about it, it's, it's, it's what you learn after you know it all that counts, yeah. you know. I mean, and, you know, baseball provides that every, every time, and and you, those who think that numbers and algorithms are going to are going to be the uh, uh, the guarantee of success, I just I just don't don't buy it. You know, we're talking with Lee Lowenfish. Lee, you are the only witness to the night that uh, I got to sit with Edward Bennett Williams up oh, in his we, box. Oh, listen, we sat so together for seven innings. Yep, it's so fascinating because what we remembered. Like yeah, you know, in, in school we we read the poem "The Six Blind Men and the Elephant," oh, right? And you know, every the blind everyone you know had another part of the elephant, you know, because they were blind, they felt something different. You remember Edward Ben Williams uh, saying that uh, we got to get rid of "Thank God I'm a Country Boy," right? That, well, that, I was I was preaching that to him in his ear, and uh, I'm going to tell you what happened. I had an agenda in there. He was going to be on a, a guest on my show the next night. I went in at about quarter to seven or seven fifteen, whatever time game started, and I said, "Mr. Williams, stand the fan." And he goes, "Hey, stand, come on in." I said, "Well, I can't stay. I've got my one of my professors is here." He said, "Bring him in," and I came and got you real quick, and we sat down with him. And then I said, "You know, I'm going to talk him, talk to him about this." And he told me at the seventh inning stretch, he picked up the phone. By the way, the Orioles were winning that night one to nothing for about three or four innings. The Indians tied the game, went ahead three to one. By the time the seventh inning stretch came around, the Orioles were behind. And he remembered what I had said earlier. During, thank God I'm a country boy, he picked up his phone and he was talking to somebody and he slammed the phone down and he told me, so I told them never to play this song again. Well, that that's funny because that what I remember now. Did Storm Davis start that game? I'm not sure. You know, because I could I, I could look did. it I could look it up. It was like about was, August fourth or fifth, eighty five or eighty six. It was eighty six. All right, 86. because what I remember, I I would think Storm Davis did start the game because Williams turns to me and says, "My pitcher is a candy ass." <laughs> Then, yeah, that then, was the rumors about him. Well, you know, uh, he, uh, the uh, uh, T Bone told me that the uh, uh, his uh, his wife was afraid of of his getting uh, hit by the ball, and that kind of seeped to him, you know. Right. But but the 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 other thing I vividly remember two things was that. Jim Dwyer, he thought should play every day, right. and you know Jim Jim Dwyer, like Crowley before him, were you know one of, one of the great role players. But you know you don't play him every day. But he said, you know what, my biggest problem is, and he points to Eddie Murray at first base, right. and he said, I'm paying him three million dollars, which was a lot back then, and he's not delivering. And, and a week later, he went public. You know. Yeah. Well, he actually went public on my show. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I'm I'm trying to look for it now. I can't find it. But uh, he said he would. He told them not to play the song. The next day, they did not play the song. The Orioles then went. That was the game where they hit the two grand slams, and Texas came back to beat them. That's and right. And that started the whole demise of Earl Weaver. Uh, Forty-two and, out of fifty-six 
lawsuit. Exactly. And what happened was they then went on the road three or four days later, and he, Mr. Williams was battling cancer. He wasn't at the ballpark when they got back, and they just started playing the song again. Yeah. And then he was never well enough, really, that that was anything important on his radar at yeah. that time. But you were my witness to that. Um, yeah. Lee, before we let you go, uh, there's a book that I don't know if you're aware of, written by Cesar Briosa. Uh, it's published by University of Nebraska Press. I had him on the show about three, four weeks ago. Last Seasons in Havana. I recommend it to you. Oh yeah, I'll have to. I'll send you the article. I did my my piece came out in an anthology, the Cooperstown Symposium on my uh, and uh, I was in Cuba for a week uh, in January three years ago. Right. And the title of my piece is that if uh, if we knew he wanted to be a dictator, we would have made him an an umpire. <laughs> uh, reflections on baseball in Castro's Cuba. So. Hey, listen, uh, yeah, always I great. Mean, it's so, uh, and that's why I hope Diaz, I hope Diaz becomes, in terms of work ethic, more of a Leotis Martin than a, than a Cespedes, you know. All right. Be you Lee. know, because it's really, it, what's happened to that country, and both from the pressure outside as well as in, ineptness inside, is so sad because mm -hmm. it's such a beautiful country with really good people. Lee, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to catch up with you. We'll All talk right, soon. All right, we'll see you soon. Yep. All right, thank you. Bye. Yours in baseball forever. Bye -bye. All right. That's how Lee signs off all his emails. Yours in baseball forever. Uh, Orioles will play in Colorado tonight at 9-10. It's uh, Andrew Kashner against Kyle Freeman. I uh, hope you'll watch it on Masson 2. We're going to take a timeout right now, and let me talk to you a little bit about my friends at the Costas Inn. I had one of their delicious crab cakes on Thursday night. That's right. I went out there, had a bowl of their delicious crab soup, a crab cake broiled to perfection. I like it a little bit on the well-done side. I eat mine with mustard. Kyle, what do you eat yours with? I like tartar sauce. You like tartar sauce. Yeah. That's an interesting choice. I love mustard. Uh, but both of us like sort of a little zing yeah, yeah, to yeah. it. A little zing to it. Uh, but it was an incredible meal. Had the cream spinach, the applesauce. Didn't have a dessert there, but they have great desserts at the Costas Inn. They also have incredible steamed crabs every night of the week at the Costas Inn. 4100 North Point Boulevard in the heart of Dundalk. And their phone number, 410-477-1975. Make sure if you want to plan ahead to have crabs, call there and tell them Stan the Fan sent you. This is Ross Grimsley with a reminder to all my baseball friends out there that I'm now part of the Press Box Podcast team. Catch my take on the O's and whatever's going on in this great game of baseball. We'll also touch base with some of my old friends and teammates. Tune in every Tuesday morning or listen anytime at PressBoxOnline.com slash Ross Grimsley Show. I like world-famous chicken. You like world-famous chicken. We all like Royal Farms world-famous chicken. Why? Because Royal Farms world-famous chicken's always fresh, never frozen. Because it's hand-dipped in a secret recipe of herbs and spices. Because it's cooked on the spot, right in the store. And because it's the juiciest, best-tasting chicken on the planet. That's why everyone likes Royal Farms world-famous chicken. Western fries, too. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Respect. 
It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Section 336 here with all your Baltimore sports talk. The Raven season is now done. But the Orioles season is just ahead. We have a new GM. We have a new manager. We have a few new baseball players out there. Reason for optimism. I don't know if you can name any of those new players. And I think we won 40-some <laughs> games last year. Yeah, but I remember a terrible year in 1988 where we were able to turn it around the very next year in 1989. Why not 2019? Why yeah, not? why not? Why not check out Section 336 at Section336.com, Facebook. Or on Twitter and iTunes as well. Just search for Section 336. The latest edition of Press Box is available now on the cover. Luke Jackson dives into the options the Orioles have with the number one pick in the MLB draft and the significance of them picking number one for just the second time ever as they're in the throes of a rebuild. Plus, Bo Smolka looks into the Oklahoma connections developing for the Ravens after using two of their first five picks on former Sooners for the second year in a row. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The Glory Days Grill-to-Go menu is based on a simple reality. You can't spend your whole life at Glory Days Grill. Your boss wouldn't like it, and neither would your kids or your dog. So come to Glory Days and get your food to go. On your way to soccer practice, or to the office, or to, well, wherever. We know the hardest part of visiting Glory Days Grill is leaving. But at least you take a little piece of us wherever you go. Glory Days Grill. Great food. Good sports. As the weather heats up, the menu at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square cools down, introducing the all-new Frosted Key Lime, a fun twist on one of America's favorite pies. The new treat is a hand-spun combination of Chick-fil-A's signature ice dream, Chick-fil-A lemonade, and natural sugar-free lime flavoring made from a blend of key limes, coffer limes, and Persian limes. Frosted Key Lime gets its green color from a mix of nutrient-rich ingredients. Download the Chick-fil-A app today, place your order, and get points towards free stuff at our Chick-fil-A. Nottingham Square. Plus, if you order using your app, your food will be ready when you get there. Stop by Chick-fil-A in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center at 5198 Campbell Boulevard and tell Steve we sent you. And we are back on the batter round. It's 12.05, so time to dash. We hope you have a great weekend. Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer back Saturday, uh, Monday morning. Tuesday. Tuesday morning, that's right. I believe we'll see you, correct, I assume, uh, for five words or less? Uh, I've got to talk You'll to you know. about yeah, that. You'll I'll let me know, yeah. You'll let me know. about that. Uh, but we appreciate you being here, Kyle, as always. And uh, Ryan, what? that's millennials today, or young kids today. Worked two whole weeks and then took a week off. Yep, just And he's about. taking next week off, right? I couldn't tell you. Okay. And this guy, this guy's the savior, Griffin Bass. All right. Uh, anyway... Tuesday morning, 10 o'clock, Glenn Clark Radio back at you. At 9 o'clock on Tuesday morning, Ross Grimsley Show uh, will be here 9 o'clock uh, Monday morning. Have a great weekend, Tuesday, everybody. Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning. Bye.